everybody. Welcome back. This is Can You Keep a Secret, part of the Pultab Sports Network. We do this podcast, uh, I think, whenever it's a solstice. Yeah, it seems that way. <laughs> so Once we, every at least nine months. Yeah, so uh, a full-term pregnancy is uh, the gaps between a podcast. But we got a special one today. We got a great guest, uh, longtime NHL vet, two-time national champion, All-American, Olympian, and probably, I think, and vinyl lover, maybe a fish fan. And I think uh, one of the things he's most proud of is starting the Shine a Light Foundation, which we're going to get into with him today, which is Mr. Paul Martin. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be awesome here. Awesome to have you, Morning. man. Yeah. Morning. So you're getting a haircut today. Um, can you? Your hair looks good right now. Why a haircut and what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean... John, I see your flow is looking pretty good. Um, I don't know. I think I go out every six weeks. I think that's what it is. And it's just that that time of the... It's a habit. Yeah. And if it gets a little bit too long... Um, I mean, I got a tiny head, so I need somewhat bigger or like a little more hair or a beard or something. So... Um, what size is your head? I don't even know. It's the smallest fitted hat size, whatever that is. <laughs> I didn't know that. So you're <laughs> yeah, trying to... I shouldn't have to, said that on there. You're trying... You're like the opposite of David Backus. Yeah, kind of. Just I need a little flow to keep it going. But, you know, at some point it's like you're... I guess as you get to a certain age, you have to be a little more respectable with it. I don't know. No, man. You're, okay, oh, you, no? No, no you should have seen mine two days ago. <laughs> yeah, I got my haircut first time in a year. Really? Yeah, I looked homeless. I loved it. <laughs> have you ever gone long enough to be able to do a ponytail? I don't think I ever have, no, or like braided or anything like that, no. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, like double like Katniss Everdeen? Yeah. Lotsko would love that on the bench. For sure. For sure. <laughs> I remember like in New Jersey, Lou, he always had the, you can have long hair or like you know, beard, which is kind of the antithesis of the, the hockey hair and the you know, the playoff beards and everything like that. But yeah, he ran that like the Yankees, right? You had, yeah. to, you had to get shaved, you had to Clean cut the shaving. hair. Yeah, that's wild. So uh, tell us, you're, you're helping with the Gopher program now. Um, how did that come about and and what has that meant to you? Yeah, it's been great experience for me. Pretty fortunate. I, I think they've um, done that for five or six years. And Ryan Patoni and Stu Bickle, uh were doing it prior to to me and, and kind of the timing as far as retiring and not knowing what to do with my life when you've played hockey for most of it and um, didn't finish school left after my junior year and talked to Bob and he's like, yeah, we'd love you to, to come and help out and earn your degree. And we just would like you to be consistent with the days you show up, you know, a couple of days a week, one day a week. And it end, it's ended up being uh, every day I show up because it's, I get a lot of purpose and meaning from it. And, you know, hopefully the guys love it. And it's, you know, I think that's the, the stuff I miss the most about hockey is just being around the guys and part of a team. It's not necessarily the hockey part of it. And did you finish your degree yet? Or are you in, in process? I did. I finished it last spring, uh, bachelor of science in multidisciplinary studies. So, um, in order for me to come back and, and coach at the same capacity I did last year, um, had to continue with school. So now I'm in a graduate program in school, social work, youth developmental leadership, um, which has been a little more than I thought it was going to be. But I mean, I'm learning a lot. That's the biggest thing. And I can still coach and spend time at the ring. So it's well, been a great experience. What do you do with that then? What would you ultimately like to use <laughs> that with? It's a great question. I'm not entirely sure. I think it's just something that um, I will be able to use um whether it's um, you know consulting or, or maybe teaching something on that level, it, it aligns with Shine a Light. You know, a lot of it is is youth programming and development and um, things of that nature, which can really you know 
I guess, do a lot of things. And that so, was a promise to your mother to finish Beverly, school? yeah, that was, I mean, when I left after my junior year, that was an extremely difficult experience because I'm, I mean, I'm a Minnesota guy. I'm a, um, you know, I'd get homesick if I went on those USA tournaments um, and, you know, I didn't go to Ann Arbor because I played different sports and we have a very close family. So after my junior year, we just won two championships and I didn't want to leave, but um, Lou said, you know, we have an opportunity for you to make the team and the lockout would have been the next year. And so I could have been stuck in the A and Ben Hankinson. Like a lot of the guys were like, this is probably the, a good decision. And they, they were great about it, like giving me time. But, you know, she was crying and having a hard time saying goodbye. And she's like, you better come back to school, you know? And <laughs> it's like, all right, and I will. And sure enough, I probably should have chipped away at it earlier. You know, if I look back and all the time you have and afternoon naps and on the time on the road, I could have be a great guitarist by now or something or finish school. And I, I don't really have much to show for, for it. Hey, well, Beverly, he did it. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, hey, I want to curious about something. So I'm a big golfer fan. And, uh, you know, now you're back around the program. You were there in, in the heyday. Um, and everybody, the, the fan base is super weird. Like there's a lot of people, I swear, they hate watch the gophers. You know, it's like they, I'll get texts from these are buddies that are fans of the program and they'll text me if they only text me if they lose or if there's not enough fans in the building. And I, I actually, I sent a note to one of my buddies. I go, dude, you've hated the Gophers for 20 years. Like you think you're a fan, but you're not like, like it's different. It's big 10. It's different. Just, you know, get on board or get the hell out of here. Have, is it, is it different? Like when you're around the program, is it, how different is it compared to back in the day? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that play into it. Um, you know, when you have some success or you're used to this, this moment in time where you, you know, Mariucci sold out and, and you're winning and you're in the WCHA and you have the rivalries like St. Cloud and Duluth and North Dakota, and you're playing them every other weekend. And, um, you know, that's like that moment in time, that vision that you have. And then, like you said, when you switch to the big 10 and you're playing different teams and there's not those rivalries and. I mean, now with, with social media, take a price. I think there's a lot of things that go into it, which could, as like the regular fan in that moment, you're not getting the same experience. And like you said, it's hard, like the things are, are changing in general. So it's kind of like you got to get on board and, and go with it. And it's, I feel bad for the kids more than anything, because the, this last weekend in Michigan, when it was, it was pretty, pretty full and it was a great hockey game. And they're like, after the game, they're so excited. Like that's what it feels to play hockey, you know, at, mm -hmm. at the University of Minnesota. And, um, to have that experience, you know, whether it's Wisconsin or certain teams that come in, you do get that occasionally, um, you know, but they, they, they come there for a reason and it's hard to get back to that, that spot. Well, I think people forget, you know, 94 to 2000, there wasn't a pro hockey team here. So when everybody's sitting in Mariucci watching Crowley and Kraft and it's sold out, it's like, that was the only ticket in town for mm -hmm. like eight years. Yep. And it was, I, I went Saturday and um, kind of, you know, you know, the guy I was with thought there'd be more people here. I go, hey, there's a lot of people here. It's a right. 10,000 seat building. Most of them are five. And when the Rouser went, man, that thing, you feel it in your chest, even with half the building. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's got to be wild for those kids to kind of to see a sellout would just be awesome. I know they did it last year for one game, but. Right. And I think they do like as far as seats and sold, and selling seats, they do. I mean, they have more capacity than most college teams, but like, mm -hmm. you're right. If you go into a barn with 5,000 and it looks a little more packed and Mariucci has maybe seven or eight, but it just doesn't look that way. So I, I know they're talking about doing something with the rink, whether shrinking it a little bit or adding some suites or something to um, make some changes. Do you work with the D or the forwards? I work with the D. What a group. Yeah. Uh, 
What's it like with you got to what's it going to be like for this uh, favor, you know, going to the Olympics and with uh, Nyes and Myers? I mean, that's kind of a has he talked to you? I mean, what? That's just crazy. It is. It is. How cool is that, too? Like for them to have that opportunity. It's pretty special. And um, you're right. Like it's it's been easy for me. Like they're all really good kids and they're a lot more skilled, I think, than than like I was like demonstrating drills and stuff. They got cones and they're they're just really talented. Um but they've, you know, they, to be able to go do that is already pretty special, but they, I don't know if they know the capacity of what it means. Like till you actually go, you know, um, then they'll know like a oh, while wow, standing on the blue line representing your country as the flags waving, that'll be pretty special, but they're excited, you know, they deserve to be going and, and, um, that amateur, um, you know, like the, what miracle on ice, you know, like when you have a lot of amateurs that don't get that opportunity usually to go play, I think it'll be fun for them. I actually like it. Yeah. I kind of like the the way this is laid out. I know, you know, you know, some people would disagree, but I think it's kind of cool to get back to the way it was, you know, college kids playing. And and I like that they went young. I saw this thing. Our average age is 25. Miracle was 22. And a lot of these teams like Canada is going older. They got all you know, Eric Stahl and all these guys. And we really made a choice to go young. So it'll be kind of fun to watch them. They will be like the the kids right in the tournament which is fun yeah i do like that i mean i feel like you have like some older guys maybe that you bring in to help with some of the leadership and the experience but like go young they don't you know they don't know any better they're coming in they're just going to play and have some fun and see what happens what's the what's the time out of the program i mean what's their from the time they leave to the time they come back how many games are they going to miss and what do you all do with that yeah three three weeks i think six games and um you know, we've had some injuries and guys out already this year, a lot of adversity. Obviously, Jack LaFontaine left, and now we have Justin Close stepped up, and you were there um, on or, um, uh, John on Friday, and he played great, right? So, I mean, it just gives other guys an opportunity to step up and, and play, and, and um, you know, some young guys that are have been hurt are going to come into lineup, so it's not going to be easy, but you got to find a way, you know. So let's get into uh... – I want to go back. Um, so you've started this Shine a Light Foundation, which is an amazing organization. I've been around a couple of your events throughout the years. But can you take us back to when, uh, I guess, when mental health became something you were aware of, whether it was a personal thing and then, and then I guess, turning the corner to making it a cause? Yeah, good question. Um, originally, we founded Shine a Light in 2016. Um, and prior to that, our, our family, my dad has a big family, has 15 brothers and sisters and grew up in Albertville. And um, we had had two cousins on my dad's side that had taken their life, one in high school and one in college. And then we had a close family friend um, with my parents. There's four couples and, and he used to run the bank in Elk River. And there was the recession in um, 2008 for a little bit and ended up taking his life. And so you kind of see that we and a couple high school students as well that that not no relation but you kind of started to see some of that um happen and it was it was very you know foreign and not sure what to do you know why is it happening and you'd see the impact it has on the community and the relationships with family and friends and and so i think it was something that was always um in the back of my head trying to decide what kind of um, foundation i'd like to start and then you have you know role models like sean Podine or danny heine it was an elk river and 
um, Matt Cullen and Mark Parrish guys that have had their foundations, you know, whether it was for the, the troops or um, cancer. And so it's kind of, a, it was like trying to figure out, you know, what would be a good cause that I'm passionate about. And, and then spending a lot of time in, in my travels, you know, with, in the NHL, you, you get to meet people. And, and um, I did spend time with troops and, you know, the PTSD and, and um, some of their stories with mental health and suicide. And, and so that kind of started to be, you know, the cause. And then for me, you know, I, times in my, my life when I'd be, you know, on the road and, and, um, you know, you get, you get lonely a lot of times by myself and, um, it would be something where, you know, this, especially towards the end of my career where it just got to be a lot and it, it would be hard for me to get out of bed in the morning and, um, I'm sure there was alcohol involved and it just was, it just kind of wore me out injuries, a lot of things. And, you know, I'd see a therapist and a psychologist and they'd, you know, say you should probably take some antidepressants or take some medication. And, you know, as an athlete and a, you know, hockey player, like I don't need, you don't need that kind of stuff. And just being able to kind of have a, uh, a willingness to try something different or say, you know, I'm not great in a good headspace right now, or, you know, something, something's off. And it took me a long time to do that. Otherwise just kind of keep, you know, playing through it. And, and so in 2016, we started China light and, um, centered around, you know, music and mostly just education and awareness, you know, in youth and adolescents in Minnesota and partnered with Washburn center. It's kind of the big mental health facility for children. And, and recently we're doing some work with M health Masonic to build out some music therapy rooms and mindfulness rooms for them. And, um, you know, something that is I'm passionate about now that we kind of have a board and um, John, obviously your your brother um, Tom has been very helpful for us and he's on the board as well. And so just a lot of people kind of coming to to help and, and now it's like this ball of clay and what are we going to do with it and, and how can we help and get involved. And, you know, after two successful events that first half, we had like Mason Jennings and the Gear Daddies and Shane Martin, my cousin, play and stuff and raise some money and have the kids kind of share their story, which is really like they're the rock stars to be able to kind of share their experience and strength and hope and what they have going on with us. And so, you know, kind of where the money's going and why it's so meaningful. And, and then after I retired, I had to step back for a couple of years because of my health. I went out to, to California to work on me and do a lot of things. And then after I came back, I'm like, this is something that is needed more now than ever. And, and um, so was it harder for you? So you, you stopped when you retired, did it did it get darker for you after you stopped playing? Yeah, that was, I think, the toughest spot for me, like the end of the career, I think seeing it coming, um, you know, injuries and, and, and drinking and pain medication, it just kind of was like, you see it coming and, and it's like trying to make the best out of the situation, but like, it's hard to get out of the bed in the morning and get to the rink where that's the only place, you know, you used to enjoy it. And then you're having a tough time getting there. And Is this like one of those deals, somebody comes and knocks on your door and they, they walk into your apartment and they just go, dude what's going on like card table you know you got the booze and you're just you're just at your low or was it more like sneaky you were no one really knew um i mean i think it was more sneaky i think a couple people close to me knew um and would say hey like how you doing and, and i was so used to being fine you know okay and i'd show up and i'd practice and you know i think if you're doing that then you, you get through a practice like oh, i'm i'm fine you yep. know i can do it but it wasn't until like after the first weekend or so my last year in San Jose, I think I came up, came to the rink Monday after a long weekend, we went to Napa and had wine. It was one of the, the days that the fire started out there for the weekend. And I was, you know, drunk and on pain meds and just not in a good spot. I just had any ankle surgery, like prior in the summer, we had an event for shine a light and going through some relationship stuff. So it just like was the culmination of all these things. And finally I just was like, I couldn't do it anymore. I came to the, 
practice on Monday and went out and, and the guys were like, Hey man, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm not like, this isn't good. You know? And so they got me off the ice and went and started to see somebody and get healthy and went to the AHL and played for a little bit that year. And at the end, they called me back up and got to play and I played some of my best hockey and felt good. And then at the end of that year, they bought me out. And so, um, I was getting to a good spot and then it kind of went back down into a, um, a darker spot. And then, so that next six months, I didn't do anything, but um, drink and feel sorry for myself and, um, you know, didn't really try to work out or do anything. And so it kind of got to a spot where after six months, it's like, all right, well, what are you going to do? Cause the family, the parents are like, okay, this isn't good. And, and I knew, and it's kind of the point where you change your phone number and you don't want anyone to know where you are. And I'm like a dive bar person. So I would be going to places where nobody could find you and that kind of stuff. And, and, um, you know, I think in my head, I knew I was done, but I couldn't come to the grips that that was, you know, you're a hockey player. That's where you see your value and your identity. And like, you know, I'm still dealing with some next stuff and back stuff. And, um, did you switch your phone number for real? I got a different phone. Yeah. God, <laughs> Jane, you, you should do that. You should switch your number. Yeah. So when I'm 10 minutes late for the podcast, you can't call me, but I, that's, that's hardcore, man. That's like, uh. That's Bradley Cooper, American Sniper. You're at the the bar down the street. Nobody knows it. Your phone's a different number. So you, who pulled you out or did you pull yourself out? I think it was both. I think for, you know, most fit, there has to be a little bit of a willingness to to ask for help and, and take direction on some level, like from somebody. And um, it took me a while, but for the most part, I knew my parents, they loved me unconditionally and have been really supportive. And um girlfriend at the time and close friends like just trying to help but they ultimately they can't do anything they mm -hmm. can force you somewhere to go somewhere but i you know you have to do the work and i'd went to a place a couple times and finally i just said you know you're right i got to do something different and um my sponsor and a friend that i know like the, the hockey docs or the through the league they do a great job and finally they just you'd have that conversation where something clicks you know and they were like all right let's just try something different and we did and I'm like i'm just gonna do it and see what happens and was there ever a a part of when you were going through the recovery and talking to the different resources, did anything come from a, like a foundation of why that happened? You know what I mean? Is it, you know, was it the fact that your career was ending? Was it pain medication or did you, was there something in your wiring that was looked at? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you do a lot of deep diving. I think you go through like your history and like, I don't have a lot of trauma besides a lot of, you know, head trauma like concussions and and broken bones and surgeries and um you know something like along those lines where your your neuro um the science would say like if you do something for an extended period of time or you're stuck in these places like it creates these patterns you know inside your brain and where you you believe them or you get stuck in these these spots you know and i didn't have enough time away from it where i didn't think that this wasn't normal and part of it's the lifestyle i mean i you know when you come into league you're with guys that are you're drinking and and going out and playing hard and and um, working hard and um you know but i think deep down you know better so a lot of it was that like trying to figure out like was it just because of the, the lifestyle like I, I don't remember having any kind of traumatic experience as a kid i just have always felt a little off or like maybe have used alcohol or drugs to fit in or i'm pretty i'm a pretty i'm an introvert i don't you know this is um getting used to being able to talk without that kind of stuff or to fit in has been challenging um you know to kind of figure that out like i'm like a i guess i'm a socially capable introvert but like i'm pretty quiet i usually keep to myself and so it's been a new experience trying to kind of figure out when you're done like what's next the uh it's funny when you were telling the story of the family mem members and the the banker and 
as you were telling that story, all I could think of was darkness, right? And and it's interesting that your foundation's called, you know, Shine a Light. Um, how did you come up with the name? What does that mean? Uh, I think the music component is fascinating. Can you just uh, talk a little bit about specifically kind of what you guys do compared to other foundations? Yeah, good questions. Um, yeah, I mean, Shine a Light comes from a, a Rolling Stone song. And um, we used the, the T, the seven was my number at the time. So we changed the T on, on light to a seven. And um, obviously we, you mentioned fish before. I was a big, um, I'm a big fish fan and, and they'd cover um, Exile on Main Street or some other, you know, um, that was one of the songs they'd cover. And so I kind of got into that tune and it's kind of a dark tune, you know, um, and uh, that kind of became the, um, the song for Shine a Light. And, and that's kind of one of the things or pillars that we talk about at Shine a Light is like everybody has this, this spark inside of them, right? Or this light that um, whether you know it or not, um, that brings, you know, value to yourself. Like everybody has value and, and a purpose. And it's hard to kind of sometimes figure it out with everything going on. And it's kind of something that we've tried to figure out how do we encourage kids to to go seek that that passion or to find that, you know, whether it is through music or you know, mindfulness or art or something creative. And, and so with music, that's something we did. We partnered with M Health Masonic to, to you know, give them a bunch of instruments for the kids and um, build out some rooms for them um, that are soundproof and the lights and the microphones and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I mean, I think music for a lot of people has the power to, to heal and studies, scientific, you know, research has, has shown that and proven that. And so it's just kind of trying to find ways to, to get that out to kids and, um, um, and so, uh, so say, um, how would someone interface with Shine a Light? Because I'm, I know that you also support other groups. So you raise money and and give money to Washburn, et cetera. So someone um, has mental health, a kid, or a, I don't know if it's just kids or if it's adults, and and then they uh, they reach out to support with Washburn or someone else, and then you funded an area that helps them that's music related is that is that kind of how you connect the dots or how would you explain it yeah i mean it's hard like that's kind of the exciting thing right now is after i retired i stepped back from shine a light and then we hired an executive consultant to come on and form this architect squad to figure out you know our new our new mission our new value statement all these kind of things and now we have this big ball of clay like all right what do we want to do how can we get involved and how can we support and help those that are struggling with you know mental health and um you know to we've always been partnered with washburn center and now m health masonic has kind of been new um to try to get connected there so we're still kind of looking like what that's going to look like and you know we have a good resource on our website as far as um, you know if we are struggling obviously numbers to call and, and where you can go um and so now it's like we don't know like what's our what is our programming going to be is it going to be something where we find a, a brick and mortar place in three to five years and, and have classes or facilities that we can house kids that, um, you know, need to, can maybe have like a little amphitheater where you can teach guitar lessons, you know, or learn how to play, or you have guest speakers or room for yoga or meditation, stuff like that, um, cooking classes. And I think that'd be really cool at some point. And just now with how many people kind of can you serve? And we thought about maybe developing some programming to talk in schools about um, some things that we find important at China Light and if that's something we could do. And so it's just kind of been brainstorming and what we're capable of. But like you said, John, I think a lot of it is um, right now, what are we capable of, you know, with the board and events is kind of a big thing. We're good at throwing parties and events and bringing people together, you know, surrounded by music and, and sharing stories. 
um, which is kind of the biggest thing, getting people out there to, to just talk and share their story and just know how much of a, an impact that has. You know, a lot of people see that vulnerability as a weakness. And obviously we, we know it's not, it's a, it's a big strength for kids to be able to, you know, say they're struggling or having a tough time with something and have somebody, you know what, I have those feelings too, or it's, you know, it's not supposed to be easy. It's a human condition on some level, you know, to know, to normalize a little bit that there isn't a stigma attached to it. It's more about, you know, the power and being able to, to, to share what you're feeling and what you're going through. And then at the same time, okay, what can we do? You know, mm -hmm. like, if if you're depressed, like for me, it's like you're you're isolated. I'm I'm disconnected. I'm lonely. I'm, I'm lethargic. It's like all right. Well, I can do these things to help me kind of um, you know take it with me. What what do you do? I mean, so you know we've there's been some issues in our family, mental health, and everybody has that. But I I was always kind of there's no there's no nine one one right. I, I guess it could be nine one one in theory, but like I just found I I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to call. Um, maybe there's some, you know, hospital outfit that kind of specializes in it and you would hear it from certain people. But what would you tell someone if they were really in a dark place? What are the first two, three moves that you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is if you are struggling, um, is there are people that love and support you and want to listen. It's just kind of getting that courage to be like, you know what, I'm something's off, something's wrong. And there's obviously the the numbers to call um, in case of an emergency, you know, 911. And then they also have the, the mental health hotline or the suicide hotline. Um, but I think the next biggest thing is just finding locally, like where you're connected or where they have places. And, and that's another of the, the tough things right now. The challenging things is just the the support as far as the mental health care practitioners and the, the the thin numbers of of them, you know, at schools. And there's, you know, my sister's at Harding High School and it's like one and for how many kids it, that they're able to have, it's like trying to find some more people to, to have that support. You know, now they do have apps where they have, um, you know, for a quick fix that you can lo log in and call and, and have a therapist right at your fingertips. And which is always good to have somebody, you know, listening to you and being able to share your story. But then I don't know how you stay in contact with that person if it's new every time. You know, I think that's the biggest thing is it's to find somebody that's listening that you can relate to. And sometimes that takes a while. Um, so, um, you know, over time, too, it's being able to share the story with somebody that, you know, maybe you're close to. Like speak up is yeah, the first talk, rule is talk, 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 get it out there. And was music always a big part of your life? Yeah, always. I mean, I grew up with like Cat Stevens in the crib and, you know, I always say I was conceived at a Led Zeppelin concert because it sounds cool. Um, yeah, that's not cool. <laughs> what song? Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to ask. <laughs> um, yeah. And so like my aunts and uncles, and so I'd always have records and I, I'm trying to think of like the first concert was maybe at Midway. It was like Hootie and the Blowfish or something. And um, my good friend, Nate Kopecka, and, and uh, we used to do the Sue McLean and the, the zoo shows. So I've seen like Prince at Mill City and like we start to get into that and, and um, um, just kind of loved it, enjoyed it, grew on me. And so it's, I was always at first ab or checking out shows and I'm more of a classic rock guy and it's um and fish and you know we got to see neil young at um this past couple of years ago and stuff so i just have always loved music and gravitated to it and i know it's the the live music experience and we're surrounded by friends and all that kind of stuff are you a lyrics guy um i mean i used to be more so when i could remember them <laughs> <laughs> but you're just more of the jam the 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 social part of it too, like being in a big crowd or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the experience. Yeah. The experience part. Like, but I would always, um, 
listen to music a lot. Like that was kind of my escape, you know, on the road and going to games and being at home, there's always music playing. And um, so it's always been, you know, in my ear, a big part of my life. Vinyl? Yep. Have a pretty good vinyl collection. Is that your primary or are you Spotify? What's your car situation? Let's let's get into the music a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I um, I go kind of all over the place like I do Spotify. Um, I've been trying to do the podcast a little bit, but it's mostly music. I got vinyl at home where I'll throw on um, records, you know, a couple times a day. How much vinyl? Um, I don't I'm not entirely sure. I probably have maybe 500, 600 right nice. now and then some up at the cabin so what have you listened to this week what have you what discs are you throwing on this week um i'm all over the place um this week i had wilco um i've had uh a neil young my morning jackets new album i was listening to. how is that it's pretty good it's a little different um i just that's more i think like uh like earthy and a little jammy and uh but it was uh it was good i like the he's got a great voice uh, that jim james so yeah he's great do you do country um not as much i mean i like the chris, the chris stapleton um you like the outlaw stuff the, the new outlaw, stuff yeah eric Sturge a little you're, bit you're, yeah, you're not dissing him because of elk river right no man i love country <laughs> i thought he yeah, was elk river is in the metro yeah <laughs> it's changed it used to be considered a north yeah so so classic rock no not a lot of country except for the new kind of street cred stapleton you know casey musgraves maybe the the legit new country yeah i don't mind that i mean i have you know waylon jennings and willie nelson and some of the old school stuff i like that you know merle Haggard and um but there's like and then it is kind of the new stuff i guess now that i've been listening to if i am listening to it what's your uh top five live like your mount rushmore of live that you've seen performance live performance live performance oh man you know that's good like it bruce springsteen's in there yeah and surprisingly like paul simon was incredible where'd you see him i saw him he was here i don't know if it was at target center or if it was at the x and he was incredible they had the um the drums and the Oh yeah, like the, the um, diamonds on the soles. Yeah. Or that Cole kind of when he was doing the African stuff. Mm -hmm. did, where did you see Bruce? Which show? Bruce, I saw him. He was out at um, I don't know if it was I'm trying to think the Met Meadowlands. Maybe it was in yeah. when I was in New Jersey for three and a half hours or four hours almost. I saw yeah. him. I saw him at the Meadowlands. Too. I did too. That dude kicks. I might have been. I, no, I wasn't. It was like his there. last time there. He kicks. When I saw it. Like he had a three set or a three-day sh show, and I saw him there. He is so, like, you know, he plays that song, Prove It All Night. It's like a UFC fight. Like, you're done after two hours. You're like, this was great. Mm -hmm. And then he just goes for two more hours, and he just kicks the shit out of you. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, he is, I don't know what that guy's doing, but he is a, he's a performer. So, Bruce, uh, Paul Simon. Yep. I mean, um, Prince must be in there, yeah. Prince, that was incredible. I mean, well, I was too young, I think, to really appreciate how good of a musician he was and what I was witnessing. Um, but just to be there. Where did you see him? Mill City? Mill City, roaming around. And then uh, 
it's incredible. Got to go like backstage and walk around and like really get close to him. Yeah, like the did you touch him? I no, I didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> Never touch Prince. Yeah, well, he's like four foot one or what? And uh, I don't even know if we even saw him. I'm sure he probably was gone. But there was yeah, other people back there. But this was kind of cool experience. Yeah. First First um, Avenue, best rock club in America. Yeah, I love it. It's great. It's Never great. been there. Can you believe that? That's terrible. I've yeah. never walked through those doors. Oh, that's awful. I got to do it. so great. I got to go with you. You got to take me to a show. Yeah, that, yeah we got to pick the right show, though, because there's certain... You got to see the right band at First Avenue. Mm-hmm. It's got to... They got to be coming up. Yeah. They're on the rocket. They're right. just getting big, and it's so good. Right. Okay, Prince. This is, this is serious. Paul Simon, Prince, Bruce. Give me two more. Two more. I mean... That's tough. To be honest, Rush was awesome, mm-hmm. you know, to get a little Canadian flavor in there. They were I, cool. I own no Rush. If I was going to leave here and go to the record store upstairs, what album am I buying? Oh, man, that's a good question. I don't know. I'm not enough of a, a Rush guy. I've heard um, great things. Yeah, like, they're uh, incredible musicians um, for three of them to put that together. So a guy told me, so Greta Van Fleet gets a lot of shit because they're derivative of Zeppelin. Zeppelin. But a uh, hardcore Zeppelin guy I know said, actually, Rush has a couple albums that are like, they could be Zeppelin albums. Yeah. Like they have an incredible sound that they create with just those three people. Like Neil Peart drum set is yeah. out of this world. It's nuts. And, um, you know, Getty Lee on the bass. So it's it's fun to listen to. Like, and they get out there a little bit too. Like they'll jam out. Um, are yeah, you a jam band guy? Like you're like, so. like hacky sack and you, you do that little dance? I've like, never ooh. done that. I mean, I, I've probably done it a couple times. I okay. mean, cause like fish. Devil like, sticks. Yeah. I'm not that much into it and <laughs> patchouli and all that kind of stuff. I don't get into that as much, but like, I've definitely like dead and co I've seen quite a bit just with John Mayer. At How is he? With that He's deal. incredible. Like I was really impressed and everyone gets so. Um, territorial with that kind of stuff, but like he's, he's great. I thought it was, it was fun to just to watch. Um, but then like, you know, Fish obviously is a jam band and I've seen them a ton of times and, um, you know, widespread panic every once in a while. I'm freeze McGee. Just, I don't know, just like, just enjoy it. Do you, how diverse are you? Would you like listen to Adele? Yeah, I don't mind listening to Adele or like, um, you know, Stevie Nicks or Carol King or just some older cool stuff. Did you see uh, Neil Young's asking for all of his music to be taken off Spotify? Is he? Because they have Joe Rogan on Spotify. And he's not, yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah, he wants it all removed from Spotify because he thinks Joe Rogan's putting uh, misinformation about the vaccine. It's like, wow, that's a so, pretty, not, so then he's not a Packer fan either? I don't think he's a Packer <laughs> fan either. <laughs> Probably not. Hey, I can I um this might be a little weird, but I I'm so on the mental health front. Mm-hmm. Um so if you think in sports this year between Simone Biles, Antonio Brown, I'm just curious as someone who's been in the industry, knows it personally, doing good, you look at some of these stories that, you know, um I think Simone's obviously different than Antonio Brown. So he, Antonio obviously has had some head trauma in his life. If you look back, he's walking off the field this weekend, they get eliminated from the playoffs. He's tweeting. Um, that was amazing. He tweets out a picture of him with his shirt off, holding a sign that says bucks eliminated. So there's this interesting debate, which is, is he unwell and he needs help or is he an asshole wide receiver? Or both. I don't know. So I'm just, when you see topical pop culture stuff around mental health, 
do you just think like I want touch out with a 10 foot pole because it's complicated or I mean, I'm just what do you do with something like that? Well, that's a good question. I think it is probably, you know, a little bit of both. I mean, how do you really measure that, you know, from a, an outside point of view um, with someone's really going what they have going on? I mean, I think it's a good thing that, um, you know, Michael Phelps and Simone Biles and is it Osaka, the tennis, mm-hmm. yep. like even there's yep. a documentary on Marty Fish and Andy Roddick. That's like great. The, yeah. And even the Tiger Woods doc, like you see how much um, sports has been a part of, you know, their life. And even at the beginning, like if there's a level of fun that's taken out of it, because you have to have a certain amount of discipline to make it to a certain level, I think at some point. And the social aspect of, you know, are you having healthy relationships with friends? Like, is it all tennis? Is it all golf all the time? And, you kind of see what happens after amount of time where it's like it becomes a lot, you know, and in this environment, like for Simone Bowsby, she needs to be in a certain headspace to perform on an Olympic level uh, and to know that she's out of it. And like that could be extremely dangerous, like to her, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and for her to like be able to say like I'm not in a good space is pretty impressive, you know, for, and then for to have people to not understand, like this is something that they've been doing their whole lives and dedicate it to, you know, and to, to, you know, tell them to suck it up or it's not that big a deal. Like, so it's good that you have these prominent people saying these kind of things, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then with Antonio Brown, like, I, I don't, I don't know. That would be tough. Cause that on the some level too, you have like a, um, a general manager and you have a coach and you have a, uh, you know, whether, whatever program you're that you have to run things a certain way, you yeah. know, and you, you need people to be on the same page and it's why you have success. Cause, um, you don't have, those kind of distractions, you know. Um, and when, when you were coming up, uh, you know, you mentioned the Tiger Woods. Uh, that was an amazing documentary as well. Were you, uh, you know, skating outside, uh, come home for dinner? What was your or, or were you kind of getting pushed into hockey? What, what was your background when you kind of fell in love with hockey as a kid? Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate. We had a pond right behind our house, the Gustafsons, and we shared it. And so you know, grandpa gets you a pair of skates and you have the floodlights and you're out there all the time. And that's kind of where you, you learn, um, you know, hone your skills and how much you love the game of hockey. And they had the pit in Elk River where we'd skate as well. So, I mean, I was pretty fortunate too, that my parents let us play anything. And, you know, that was back when you'd play kick the can outside and all the neighbor kids would come along. And so it was growing up in that environment. Um, I loved it. And so, but I'd play baseball and football and basketball. I think in seventh grade, I I quit hockey and just played basketball and saw my friends were basketball players and ended up going back to hockey. But like, I think a lot of it was just being in an environment where you could play other sports and see what you liked and enjoyed and, and feel safe doing it. And how many sports did you let her in? Um, track and baseball in the spring and then football and hockey. <laughs> That's good. What were you in? Were you the quarterback? I was a wide receiver. Awesome. Yep. And we threw a lot. So it was it was fun. That's great. And then did you want to be a gopher or how did that go about ending up on that college program? Yeah, I did. I mean, I'd always, we'd go to How Do and Jared's Grandma and Grandpa's and watch gopher games because we didn't have it at our house. And so whether it's football or basketball and, and or hockey and, you know, I had all the gopher stuff and Goldie. And so when they called, it was like, yes, <laughs> you know, I had to play it off. Like it wasn't... Um, yeah, it was a yes. Did yeah. Woog recruit you or uh, Lucia? I think Woog started, but then Don came in, and it would have been his second year where I, it was my freshman year. Awesome. And did you know with those teams, um, 
I'm curious now that you're coaching uh, and you're around the same program. Did, did you know during the year that it was special, or you had this kind of you were playing for each other, or they every, everybody loved each other, or or is it like you just got hot at the right time? How do you how do you know? Yeah, that's a good question. I think a little bit of both. I think the thing that separated um, that kind of just is the, the upperclassmen. So you know when when Jordan Leopold and and Johnny Pohl came in, they said they had didn't have the best relationship with the seniors. They didn't feel included or part of the team and, and you know, loved and respected. And so I think they kind of changed the dynamic of of that culture when we came in as freshmen and, and Jordan Leopold and Johnny Pohl, Pat O'Leary, Eric Wendell, those guys, they kind of let us know how important we were to the team and that we were valuable. Did we still, you know, carry bags and go through the meal line last and get an oh Yeah, like it's kind of a you, part of the deal. Yeah, part of the deal. And that's not. You know, it's just normal. But when it came time to, to play the game or to compete in practice or um, to include everybody and go out to eat or have you over for dinner, that's what they did. And so I think that makes a big difference, you know, to know that you have that um, connection as a freshman or sophomore and know that you're part of a team. You know, so just maybe kind of to branch this, these two to uh, topics together, but like from when you played at the U to now, do you see additional resources for the kids for mental health? And I mean, are they are the are programs putting that into their kind of resource bucket if a kid is struggling or is it still kind of because, again, we've all been part of athletics for a long time. And you said something just a couple of seconds ago that, you know, there is still is a mentality of suck it up, get it figured out. And the people that stand out now are these people that are saying, no, I'm not doing that anymore. So I'm just curious from a from your perspective, is it changed or does it need to get better? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely changed. I know they do have resources, especially um, at the schools. Um, you know, psychologists and therapists they're available if the if the kids are willing to, and it's anonymous. And um, you know, they have different apps that they promote. You know, as far as you know, meditation or um, therapy too, as well. And so I think some of it is left up to the athlete to find out if, if they are struggling and kind of take a little bit of initiative to, um, you know, find, find something different or try some new things, um, you know, and, and, um, so I think that's definitely changed a little bit, but there's definitely still the, you know, as a coach or, um, you know, if you have someone say they're having a tough time or they're struggling, like, I think there's a little bit of a fear still, like to be able to say that and not think you're, your position would be in jeopardy or like, you know, they're going to find someone that's, that's tough and shows up every day and, you know, doesn't complain. Or I think that's always got to have some space in the back of their, their heads, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but I think a lot of it too is, is we talked about like the normal part of it too. Like a lot of, I think of the guys have similar experiences or thoughts competing at a certain level, you know, of expectations and pressure, whether it's family or, you know, professional ranks and dealing with these emotions. So it's like, how do you do that? Like get them, you know, the resources to kind of see like, this is some things that you could do to improve on or some breath work or the little things that could make a difference and um, get off your phone for a little bit during the day, you know, or quit scrolling and stuff like that. So. Um, there's definitely resources available. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the kids if they decide to take the initiative. Yeah, because in the USHL, we, we before I left, we were putting some resources in through the NHL adversity, you know, some things like that, that the kids could have an app that they could work through some different things. And from the feedback was it was really well received, you know, that these kids were, 
you know, because there's so many. The interesting thing is like you playing for the U and playing, you know, in the National Hockey League and stuff is I think people look at it from the outside going that that's got to be awesome. Like your whole life must just be awesome. And the truth of the matter is there's so much pressure tied to that, you know, from keeping your spot to not getting sent down to whatever. And I just think that um, from from athletics, the athletic standpoint, I, I think it's really cool that there's more focus on mental health. Right. And it's it's a good thing. Like it's like you you have these people who you invest scholarships in and money in and even at the professional level, you pay them so much. Like, why wouldn't you bring in people, you know, whether it's a mental health coach? And I know they've done it in Toronto and they're starting to do it now. They have hockey talks, all these different things like where why wouldn't you invest these tools and assets into having them improve their experience? You know, trying new things to figure out what works or having those kind of talks. Um, you know, I mean, I think um, for me, like even that whole part of the pressure and expectations, like when you put, if you're not present in the situation, it, it's it's difficult. So it's like you put a lot of value in, like I wanted to get a thousand games. I wanted to win a Stanley cup. I wanted to, you know, so you feel if that doesn't happen, like I feel like I'm a, you know, failure. That's what I put my meaning in instead of like being in the present moment, enjoying coming to the rink, you know, helping the younger guys, like a lot of the other stuff that's more meaningful and has more value like today. Um, when you have guys call you and say, you know, thanks for helping me out or doing that kind of stuff, then the, you know, it, it would have been nice to win a cup or to get to this and stuff. So it's, I think, more of the perspective and having guys have those conversations with people is very important. When you think back on your hockey career and if you had a couple snow globe moments of sort of, um, I know it wasn't the cup or a thousand games or whatever, but it, is it national championship, Olympics, NHL moments? What are kind of your What's your human highlight reel? What's on there? Yeah, I mean, those are some of them. I think, like, my mind automatically, when I think about hockey and, like, my journey goes back to, like, the pond in Minnesota, in Elk yep. River, you know, just the where it all started. Um, then, obviously, the, the experience at the U, the back-to-back, the first one in the backyard at the X um, with those guys who I, you know, group chat with them today, like, my friends for life. And, um you know, and then the, on the professional level, just being able to play for three really good organizations. And obviously, like I even say, um, I lost, we lost to, you know, my, the Pittsburgh Penguins after five years go to San Jose and lose to them in the cup finals. But it's an experience I'll never, you know, forget, even though it was a really tough one. I learned a lot from it. And, um, and then the Olympics, which was a bittersweet experience for me. I got to play in the World Cup and then go to Torino as a member of Taxi Squad, didn't get to play and then broke my forearm going to Van- before Vancouver where they won the silver medal and missed out on that and finally getting to stand on the blue line in Sochi as a member of the Olympic team and play. Um, you know, Dan Bowsma let me do that. And and then, you know, three games in, break my hand and not get to play Team Canada. So it's like it's this up and down, you know, like one of those things where it's like I'm grateful for such a great career and all the people like I start to notice now, like after the fact, how much people invested, you know, in you coaches and, and family members, parents and stuff to, to be able to do that. And now on the coaching aspect, it's been the most rewarding thing, I think, for me since not being able to play to work with guys and, and hopefully teach them a thing or two and be part of a team. And um, it's pretty special. Have so, you, well, I got to go ask a yeah. question because I always ask this when we're talking to NHL guys. Um, favorite city? Favorite city? Oh, that's tough. There's so many. I mean, I love the Canadians. Like Montreal was incredible. Um, I loved it. Like New York, you can't argue with you know the New York City. I uh, have you got classic rock into the locker room this year with the <laughs> what? What's the situation musically with the uh, you know current Gopher program? Are, are you you have any influence? You got any 
weak guys that you can get to? Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to get Tragically Hip in there a little bit. Um, that'd be probably one of my other favorite bands or top shows. And um, it's different. It's changed a lot. I used to do the music in, in New Jersey and then tried a little bit in Pitt. And then slowly the kids take over, you know, with more of the the rap or the techno and that kind of stuff or whatever you call it. The button pushers, I call them. And uh, it's changed a lot. But now to the point where the remixes have you know, yeah. like a petty tune in it, or they'll have, you know, a Bruce Springsteen tune in it or Rolling Stones and like a remix kind of thing. I'm like, all right, I'll give I'll give you that, you know. Who's on the aux cord for the Gophers? I'm not sure. I think it's um Blake McLaughlin maybe or, Sam, yeah. or Sammy Walker. And so it's it's there's a point where it gets a little um it's like rock into kind of country into rock and then into like the rap and the hardcore stuff. So it's like a progression. Is Matthew Nye's neck bigger than your head <laughs> probably yes he's a physical <laughs> specimen he's a beast i was watching him on saturday i just said oh my god it's like uh is he a true freshman is he an 18 yeah. year old kid yeah where's he from I, I apparently uh i don't even know his dad must be about six foot ten or i don't know he's from arizona yep from arizona but he's just a, a man child he's going to the olympics as well he's a big boy mm -hmm. the nine line yeah. Um, you have anything else, Mr. Garrity? No, I just think it's been awesome talking to you. And anything we can do to help you out, we'll help you out for sure. Yeah. How do Sounds we get good. involved with Shine a Light? What would you tell people if they want to check out the website, if you got an event coming, um, anything you want to say Shine a Light wise? Yeah. I mean, shinealight.org uh, and the T is a seven. We'll have some information coming out. We have some on there already about kind of where we've been and, and now where we're going. We'll have some events coming out in the spring. We're looking to do an event at First Ave um, in August. So there'll be some information out on there um, if you just check that out. So Awesome. Look forward to it. Hey, thanks for opening yeah, up with you. you and being a, what did you call it, a capable introvert? <laughs> Socially capable Social. introvert. You yeah. did great, man. Well, thank thanks, you, man. Andrew. It's a pleasure to get to know you and to, um, you should be really proud of what you're doing. Well, thank you. No, yeah. this has it's been great and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. This has been Can You Keep a Secret? We'll see you soon. Bye.